data is at the is at the foundation of all of this. We have to get the data right. And at DXC, we are driving towards being a data-driven company. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. Our broadcast today comes from our most recent MetaStrategy Digital Symposium. And the topic of this panel was the future of digital customer experience. The panelists who spoke about the topic were Fahim Siddiqui, Chief Information Officer of The Home Depot, and Christy Grinnell, Chief Information Officer of DXC Technology. The gentleman who led the conversation was MetaStrategy partner and East Coast lead, Alex Kraus. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, we, are, we are off to a great start. And the topic that we want to discuss is the uh, current state and the future of customer experience. Maybe we'll take a quick break from generative AI and AI more generally, but uh, I can't promise you for too long. As many of you know, uh, you know, the last decade is referred to as the age of the customer for a number of reasons. Uh, partly because organizations realize both in the B2C and B2B space the importance of customer sentiments, customer experiences, but also because technologies, digital capabilities uh, enable the customers in whole different ways and really um, gave them a say as they shape uh, the buying experience and other experiences. That said, uh, the whole idea that customer experiences are important is not new. Uh, Peter Drucker has talked uh, about uh, customer uh, being at the core of uh, every uh, business. Uh, he said that in the 1960s. Uh, nowadays, we can't really separate customer from employee experiences. They are intrinsically linked. Many business leaders, including Richard Branson, Bill Marriott, are quoted as saying, you treat your employees right and they will treat your customers right. And uh, therefore, still a very relevant topic. Uh, so today I'm joined by uh, two amazing technology leaders to speak about customer experience and the relationship uh, to employee and other experiences as well. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Christy Grinnell, the CIO of DXC Technology, uh, a role she's held since late 2021. Prior to that, she was the CIO and VP for Supply Chain at GDIT. DXC, as you may know, is a Fortune 250 uh, global technology service provider uh, and serves uh, roughly half of the Fortune 500 uh, group of peers. DXC Technologies has 130,000 employees in 70 countries. Uh, I'm also joined by Fahim Siddiqui. Fahim is the CIO of Home Depot, a role that he's been in since April 2020. However, he joined uh, Home Depot as early as 2018. Uh, before coming to Home Depot, Fahim spent more than three decades in retail, energy, and telecoms. Most recently, he was the CIO e-commerce and digital at Staples. Home Depot, as you may know, is the largest home improvement retailer with annual sales uh, exceeding $157 billion, 475,000 associates across more than 2,300 stores. Fahim and Christy, welcome to the panel. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Great to see you both. Great to have you here. But first, a quick word from our partner, Cisco, and the company's vice president and chief product officer of its incubation engine, OutShift, Poppy Menon. Poppy wanted to share how he and his team are building solutions to help organizations secure their cloud infrastructures. Poppy, over to you. Within Outship, we have a multi-cloud defense suite. Panoptica, the product that we are talking about, it's a full cloud-native application protection platform, and it works very well with other products in the Cisco security and observability portfolio, where insights from Panoptica are fed into those products and help inform your cloud-native security. One of the biggest advantages with the Panoptica product is this ability to visualize your attack path. For any enterprise operating at non-trivial scale, your cloud infrastructure will have thousands, if not tens of thousands of vulnerabilities. 
this is just going to be the way things are. But that's not actionable. When you have 10,000 vulnerabilities, you don't know what to do about them. What Panoptica allows you to do is to take that and distill it down and say, of the thousands of vulnerabilities that you have out there, which of them should you pay attention to because they form part of a credible attack path that can compromise one of your critical assets? It makes it actionable and we call it prioritize with precision. So it really helps you prioritize the things that matter based on the credible threat that they pose. And now on to the interview. Uh, Christy, let's maybe start with you. Uh, I think one thing that uh, I find intriguing is that you have actually organized yourself uh, in ways to shape better experiences for both your customers as well as your employees. Uh, and I wonder if you can share with your colleagues and peers uh, in this uh, symposium a little bit how you've done that and why you have done so. We are of the mindset that a happy employee makes a happy customer, absolutely, at DXC. So in order to really understand and make that employee happy, we have to understand how they work. What information do you need? When do you need it? What process are you using? And then we can ensure you have the tools, the data, the information to go. So we put ourselves in an organizational model in my IT shop where it's based on value streams, the end-to-end -end process that people follow in our um, company in order to do their work every day. If I can make it easy to work for DXC, then I can make it easy for our people to then turn and focus on our customers instead. So that employee who's going, how do I you know, find my pay stub or how do I enter my time or I can't figure out how to do this and I don't know where to get this information. If I can take all that noise away, then they're able to say, customer, what can I do for you? What problem can I solve? So those value streams and that end to end process enable us to do that. Thank you for sharing that. And Fahim, obviously you are in a B2C uh, space, uh, slightly different from DXC and, and Christy, but just to start with the data point here, if I remember correctly, uh, I think Home Depot carries out something like 1.5 billion customer transactions every year. Uh, and you're serving, you know, a wide variety of customers, the weekend warriors, like many of us probably, professionals and so forth. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about, you know, how you use digital features, digital capabilities, data, and so forth to shape the customer experience. I'll echo what was said earlier. And this is also what our founders would say. You take care of the associates, they'll take care of the customers and everything else will take care of itself. So now when you bring it fast forward and today, we have about 400,000 customer facing associates. And we used to give some of them handheld tools called HD phones that look like this. Um, and this device would be in the hand of some of them and not each and every one on the shift. Today, we now have provided these devices to everyone on the shift. The power of that is now the power of the network because this device now connects the associate for anything that the customer needs to what's in the store, to what's in the region, to what's in the inventory nationwide or available anywhere else. Just that connectivity, bringing it all the way in front of the customer and then having a lot of the same information being available on the app itself. When you bring the two of them together or when the customer comes in and they're doing a curbside pickup and they're able to message a specific associate and a specific associate can then message back to the customer that bridges that digital divide and creates a seamless experience. And we attempt to and want to do that ongoing for each of those customer touch points. And maybe at some point, the customer is not really talking to an associate, it's talking to a specific generative AI model and getting that expertise and experience available to them. And, and just a quick follow-up, Fahim, in terms of the different channels, how much do you actually think about individual channels versus really think about the, you talked about the seamless experience, but the omni-channel uh, experience. Tell us a little bit more about that thinking. 
how we think about our customer experience anymore is what we call now interconnected retail or interconnected commerce. Because what we do know for sure, more than half of our customer journeys start on a digital channel, be it on the app, be it on the web, or it might even start from a specific pin on a Pinterest then that comes into our domain. And of that, our overall transactions, about less than 20% are transacted using a digital channel. But even when that is done, half of those orders are either delivered or picked up from store. So it truly becomes this interconnected experience where digital, what happens online, what happens in-app, what happens in the store. And you may arrive at the store and see something, but it's not in the color or configuration you wanted. And you go back to the QR code and you see what else is available. And that's what we are seeing more and more. And that's how we elect to invest in technology. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And Christy, uh, I also want to acknowledge, I think DXC, uh, you help others uh, with gauging customer and, and user sentiment. Is that right? Yes, we absolutely do. In our modern workplace offering, we really take pride in the fact that we can help our customers understand either their own employees or customers' experience as well. Wonderful. Wow. Okay, so we asked ultimately, how do you measure that? The results of our poll here that Peter posed to the audience earlier uh, about, you know, how you measure and gauge uh, customer sentiment, customer experience. And we used uh, fairly broad categories. But clearly, if I read this correctly, a net promoter score and the equivalent on the employee side, employee net promoter score are by far the most popular, followed by customer consumer sentiment and engagement analysis, social listening and, and, and so forth. Christy and Fahim, I, I'll put it back to you. Are you surprised to see these results? Is it in line with what you are seeing and doing? It's absolutely in line with what I'm doing. And Fahim, I'm going to be curious to hear what you do, but we absolutely do an employee net promoter score for that employee experience. Are we providing the tools, the data, the information you need in a frictionless way in order to do your job? And we do an external net promoter score as well. Both of those should be going up as we continue to work on our um, environment and what we're trying to, to digitize. I think it's really interesting, though, because the sentiment analysis was the next highest one. We do that as well, right? We build that into a lot of what we do. As soon as you use the help desk or that bot, we want to know exactly what you're thinking. And we want to get that sentiment um, and, and really take that to correspond with the employee net promoter score to really understand how people are feeling. Because it's right in the moment. You know, you can survey somebody and, you know, okay, like, I think it was great or I think it was horrible. But right in the moment, like when you're trying to enter your time, you're trying to get your pay stub, or you're trying to find information, or you're trying to get help from the help desk, like that's when you want to really collect that information. So bringing all of that together and, and using all of that as a tool really helps us to drive that employee experience and know where we need to focus. As far as we're looking at the customer sentiment, we do both ongoing longitudinal studies of understanding, are we top of the mind when we think of home improvement and who does the customer think of? And yep. How does somebody who's Gen X thinks about it versus a millennial? And then for different types of retail activity, what's the experience? So when we look at appliance delivery, appliance delivery is very different. You might buy it online or you may buy it in the store, but then somebody has to all the way come to your home. You take the day off. They better show up on time. Switch the appliance, take it off, and hopefully nothing breaks. And if it does, not a good thing. And what we learned, our scores were not the best. So we actually made a specific change and we built out our own delivery centers. This used to be outsourced work. Now today we have 130 plus owned delivery centers. So appliance come in there and suggest in time delivery, they come in the day before, get stacked up and then get delivered the next day. And we very closely watch for what the customer view is off of that. That's a bit different than a cash and carry customer who on the register can give us some feedback and get the view. 
but we like to understand by customer segment how we're doing. As far as the associates go, both at the point of contact, let's say when they speak with our technology support center. So we have centralized technology support centers and what's the rating, what's the ranking. Most recent one was about a 4.7 on a scale of five. Then we do employee surveys that relate to leadership behaviors as well as employee commitment or what we call associate commitment index. And that's something that we very closely monitor, manage. And when you look at leadership behaviors, we track to respect, aspiration, development, and really get the engagement out of that. I want to quickly follow up. Obviously, data and survey data and so forth are very valuable. I think both of you just uh, acknowledged that. But one of the key things is how do you go from like learning about where you maybe did something really well or there's room for improvement? How do you take that and take corrective action? Uh, I don't know if you have a specific process or approach or that varies on the type of issue or occurrence. I'm just curious, both of you, uh, how, how you go about that. I have service owners in charge of each of our services. And when we look at that employee net promoter score, we're able to break that down and see which services are performing really well and achieving a, a good employee experience and which ones aren't. And we take some of the um, comments and feedback and understand what that looks like. And then we look at some of the sentiment analysis as well. And we ask the service owners to build that into their backlog so that they can fix those problems that they see are happening every day. And we expect to see that number start to rise over time. And it's working. So when I first got here almost two years ago, we were in the 20s for our net promoter score, not where we wanted to be at all. We are now over two years hovering at 30. And we're very proud of that. And we're going to keep going. And the reason is because we have real ownership of people saying, if I build it, I own it. And that means that this needs to be solving a business problem and making that employee experience better. So every one of those times that we're going out and asking our employees what they think, and, and when we see that sentiment analysis, we are building on that and, and working that into our, our roadmap to fix the services. Wonderful. So accountability and making sure Absolutely. people own that. Prahim, is that similar at Home Depot? Yeah, I'll share a, maybe a specific lens Please. on one area where we had opportunity. And this is when a customer really is taking on their order status. So we just mentioned that we do $157 billion in sales. Hmm. And we discovered that we have a 12-point ENPS gap from the leader. Right? It's like, wow, now you can do something about improving customer experience itself. And the first thing we found was, okay... We are not the best at communicating the milestones and where things are moving through the channel itself. And we need to improve the content and what can we do about it and, and the overall content strategy. As we looked at it deeper, customers told us that we actually don't do as good a job in terms of even branding our communications in an appropriate manner. So over the years, different people have different types of orders. Every time you wrote the code, somebody went in and developed a communication and that's one off. It looks different. And the customer might end up getting redundant ones or not getting anything at all. And then that informed us that we really need to have a content management strategy and a view towards managing all customer ongoing content, regardless of the channel. So that was a journey that we had to go on of discovery, learning what opportunity we had, what are the different areas we can address that ended up in creation of new technology components. Christy, I want to turn back to you. Uh, Fahim referenced a number of examples of fulfillment and operations, broadly speaking. Now, the pandemic was one of the many things that showed us the criticality of supply chains and, uh, you know, managing and dealing with operational complexities. I mentioned it in the introduction. In your previous job, you had uh, supply chain responsibilities. But even in your current role, you talk about the importance of supply chain and that it can be a strategic differentiator. I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit. So I talked about those value streams, that end-to-end -end process that we run. 
And when you think about, we're in a professional services firm, so we have 130,000 women and men across the globe who are delivering solutions and services. So we partner with technology vendors, sometimes software, sometimes hardware, sometimes other contract services in order to bring about the best solution for the customer and deliver that well. Well, in order for us to do that, we have to really be able to partner. So looking at that end-to-end -end value stream, we call it source to settle. How do we source the best we can for our customers? We're organized by offerings. So we're delivering these offerings. We have partners that are really going to help us to innovate and bring the best solution, are going to help us with our pricing to ensure we're bringing the best pricing to our customer and ensure that we have that seamless process to make sure that the good or the service is at the customer when we need it to be. So it really can become that source of differentiation. And we saw it during COVID when you couldn't get chips, when you couldn't get different supplies, all of a sudden you come to a halt and now you can't deliver a milestone for a deliverable for your customer. That's a really big deal. So really thinking strategically about how you can leverage that supply chain is key. But again, it goes back to experience, right? You're all bringing that back to what is the experience you want the customer to have? You don't want the customer to have to wait. You want the customer to have what they need when they want it. So it's about thinking about those end-to-end -end processes and what feeds into it so that we can deliver that best experience. That's great. That's thank you for sharing that. And I, I find it fascinating for him back to, you know, B2C, but but very similar. And I find fascinating that Home Depot, like your warehouses, your stores are part of your supply chain. So that the customer actually gets to walk in them and there's that physical proximity and so forth. But also the use of data and sharing data with partners. I think these are things that are familiar to you and that you do. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? When we really look at our value chain itself, our vendor partners are and suppliers are a key component of that. Mm -hmm. And the more and the better that they know about how business is being transacted based on the region, based on regional preferences, based on weather itself and what moves and what doesn't move. Because we have to plan at a skew store level and we have to be able to provide the same insights to our vendor partners. So our supplier portals and provide just that deep data insights that we provide in terms of what's in stock, what's available, and what's the projections so that our vendor partners can have great insight into what to produce, what to prepare for before even we give them a PO to say, send us the stuff itself. And on the other hand, for us to even know what's in our stores, because once we put in the stores, it's an open environment. Did somebody buy something or did it just walk away because somebody decided to take it and not pay for it? Mm -hmm. Now we are deploying machine vision in our stores, would know exactly what is available in the overheads, what's actually on the shelf, and be able to monitor it in real time. That's interesting. And you referenced uh, different types of demographics before. How much do you use uh, the data to better understand the different customer demographics, to better cater towards them, like the, the personalization aspect? Is that something that you're looking at as well? We have invested a lot in understanding our customers. We actually understand of the total U.S. households, how many are currently our active customers, of them, how often do they visit us. And when you look at that, half of our business actually is a pro customer. Hmm. It's a professional who's walking in and buying stuff, and then they do work for somebody. And half of our business is DIY, where I walk in and buy something based on inspiration or based on a need. Understanding their needs and understanding a pro's needs is quite different than understanding the need of a DIY customer. And then having those insights and then be able to have deeper segmentation on those. And now we are enhancing our digital experience so that if we know you to be a plumber, we will show you a different tool than if we know you to be an electrician. 
That's interesting. And allow me to quickly follow up on one point. I mean, I, I use your stores, your services myself, and I find it really interesting because in addition to the products that I go buy in the store, I now can get a lot of advice, like a consultative approach about like, you know, how to do something right. You mentioned the do-it-yourself approach. How much do you use that to gather data about what kind of paintbrush is Alex looking for? What kind of color or what type of paint is he looking for? How do you use that to make my experience better? We continue to learn in areas of personalization as to what your preferences are. So if you bought a Milwaukee power tool, you probably have that battery and you have that battery platform. So now we will actually drive you into experience. We're understanding your needs, what else you can add to it and be on that platform and not show you a different competitor's version. So that's one specific area. We would also do that based on our understanding of where you are in the life journey. So if you're a potential mover, if you're a new home buyer or you just moved, we'd actually then specifically address you and as a part of those cohorts, and as you have your additional different digital experiences, those are tailored then to those needs. That's great. And, and Kirsty, we are already on the topic, the relationship between customer experiences, employee experiences, and data uh, at the center of that. And I, I wonder if you can speak about that a little bit, the value of data, as you call it, when we last spoke. You know, as I said at the beginning, that the employee experience, we view it as, does the employee have the most efficient process with the data they need, using a system to, to help them get there in the way that they work, right? So data is at the foundation of all of this. We have to get the data right. And at DXC, we are driving towards being a data-driven company. And what that means is that we want to be able to make timely, reliable decisions for the now and how we're operating our company and delivering to our customers and meeting their, their needs and solving their problems but also predicting for the future. And in order for that all to work, number one, we need to understand those processes and have them as efficient as possible. But you need to have really good quality data. So is this data I can count on, take action on, make a decision on, because then I'm gonna run analytics over it, right? In order to start predicting things for the future and telling me how we're doing, whether that be how we need to change an offering that we're delivering as a solution, how we need to scale up because we see something is going to take off in the market, that's something that we're really going to need to rely on. So data is at the bottom of all of this. We have to get it right. But if you're doing all of that process automation and giving people data where they work and it's wrong, you're going to fall off the rails. And then all of a sudden that employee experience is going to be frustrating and it's really going to be disastrous for your customers. So we've got to get that data right. Wonderful. And, and one thing that we've heard before today's symposium, the human factor, like the learning, the teaching the data literacy and so forth. Is that something that's consistent with your experience as well, Christy? Absolutely. You know, our employees have to keep up with the technology as well. So we have to keep them on this journey where they are curious and continuously learning, not just about the technology, but how the technology can solve real business problems. And then you have to have that business acumen to know the business problems you're trying to solve, right? So creating that culture where your employees feel that they can learn as they go and give them those stretch opportunities to be able to work on these things, but also give them the ability to really learn the business is key. So creating that culture where that's collaborative and creating communities is, is really key. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Christy, I think you mentioned that you actually established an office of AI to take a look at some of those questions and find answers across functions. Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't be a CIO if I wasn't talking about AI right now, right? This is the biggest thing that's come at us in decades that I've, I've been in a role like this. And we have to think about this new technology responsibly, right? And AI has been around for a long time. So let's not kid ourselves. Artificial intelligence has been around, but the concept of generative AI 
turns it on his head of, you know, oh, people can start to do things and, and we can create video and images and all sorts of content without that human. But we are viewing that as the human has to be in the middle. So we've created this office of the AI that has people from my team and IT who really understand the technology, but also legal, HR, supply chain, and ethics and compliance who are all coming together and really ensuring we're thinking about how do we use AI responsibly? We don't want to be exposing code to the public that shouldn't be there and using it illegally. We don't want to be putting any sensitive or um, data or IP out in the market that shouldn't be there. You know, we need to make sure that we are considering data privacy for our employees and for our customers and things like that. So all of that has to be taken into consideration as we move forward with this. So we have this office of the AI that anything that we are creating or innovating that comes with an AI flavor to it needs to be run through just to ensure that we, you know, are not breaking any laws, that we're using it responsibly, securely, all of those things so that we can um, really be confident and, and know that we are using it responsibly. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. The very last question, Faye, maybe I can go to you. We talked about leadership and cultural change, especially in the light of the next normal, the new normal, whatever we want to call it. And I think you shared in our prep conversation how much the world has changed around us, but also for you and your IT organization. Can you speak about that a little bit? It was quite a change for us because our revenue grew by about 40 billion in these past three years. And we were all remote. And as you know, getting talent and getting engaged talent is always a challenge. In our team, we actually made the decision to be fully remote, 100% ongoing. That has really given an opportunity for leaders to rise. And we talked of earlier in terms of the surveys that we do. In technology this year, our employee engagement score came out to be at 92%, which was the highest ever. And our leadership behaviors were at 89%. And that difference, even four years ago, used to be about 10%, meaning leaders have now risen as the associates are more committed and it becomes a, then a virtuous cycle. So we continue to believe if we take the uncertainty out and provide people, which is, are we working remotely? Are we coming in a day or three days or whatever it is? And you provide the appropriate tools. You can really improve productivity and have better engagement. That's fantastic. There's so much more to discuss. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. I really appreciate all of your insight, sharing it so candidly. Christy and Fahim, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll find a way to continue the conversation. Thank you again. 